When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Last Week in Brexit is brought to you by Pearson Solicitors and Financial Advisors, helping businesses and families for over 100 years. And Greater Manchester Chambers of Commerce. Connect. Communicate. Create. Hello and welcome to Last Week in Brexit, the podcast for Remainers and Brexiteers alike. Join me, Jonathan Beardmore, every week alongside Alex Davis and Christian Spence as we try and guide you through the choppy waters of Brexit. Right, gents, let's talk about what's not going on. And what I mean by that is, I'm hoping Christian could tell me what's not happening in Parliament and therefore, who's actually in charge? It's a great question, uh, which we've had, I've had before from people who are kind of interested in all this stuff. So yes, Parliament is in recess. Um, our uh, our Prime Minister and most of the rest of the uh, of the government are now on their holidays all around the rest of the of the country. So people say, yeah. So who's running the place? Well, of course, notionally, of course, and indeed technically, the Prime Minister and the Cabinet remain in charge. The Secretaries of State continue to have legal responsibility uh, for everything that happens within their departments, but practically all of that now moves to the civil service. Um, so it's a bit like the relationship between government, parliament and the civil service is actually is a nice comparison to companies. And yeah. In many ways, people talk about, oh, you know, the, you know, the, the, the prime minister is the CEO of the UK PLC. It's like, well, not really. The, a better analogy is the CEO is the, sorry, the prime minister is the chairman yeah. of PLC and the civil service and the senior civil servants, those, those permanent secretaries in the departments are your departmental managers. Inside, so so the government's role, uh, the prime minister's role, and the secretary of state set the trajectory of what's going to happen and the strategic aims, and then you devolve that to your executive staff, the civil service in this case, to get on and deliver that. Uh, so essentially, they can do and will action anything that's already been essentially signed off and actioned as government policy. So of course, the thing is, you know, go, you you make a decision. Same thing in business. You know, you make a decision you're going to do something. It then takes several weeks or months for all of that to actually work its way through the machinery. So what you won't see civil service can't begin new policies they can't change direction on policies but they will be implementing all of the stuff that's happened so even within the brexit stuff the you know the formulations from the civil service they know what they've been well hopefully they have something from david davis and his team saying this is what you're negotiating to all of that carries on in the meantime uh, so yeah it's in very ways it's business as usual what you've not got is the the chopping and changing of statements from political leaders i see okay so what if a politician is currently working of course david davis uh, would seem to be currently working and he wants to change tact can he can he just change tact theoretically he is the man who signs off um ministerial paperwork within his department 
So you know, the Secretary of State is the person responsible for everything that goes on in those in those departmental things, because of, because of course technically the Prime Minister is first amongst equals. That's yeah. the way the UK your constitution is uh, is set up. Practically, of course, you're not going to see major political change without cabinet authority, um, and certainly you know Prime Ministerial mandate is going to be pretty crucial to getting that through. Okay, so in the event of something actually needing to happen. I assume all of Parliament just rushes back to back to Parliament from wh- wherever they are. Yeah, and it depends what it is. So, of course, some things ministers will be able to sign off. So this is the concept of when you see ministers or the prime minister going home with their little red box. Yeah. That's the paperwork by... those. There will be things which need the signature of the Secretary of State to have legal effect for those things to happen. So it is still perfectly possible whilst on holiday, papers are sent out saying, actually, this needs your signature now, Minister, to make this happen. Um, so all of that carries on, even uh, even if they're away. You'd only need to recall Parliament if you needed something which needs parliamentary authority, which is essentially primary legislation. Ah, uh, right. OK. So uh, a bit of a flippant question, but um, there, there was always a scene on, on Yes Minister where they deliberately give them lots of red boxes to keep them out, um, to keep them out, um, out of trouble. Any, any truth in that? Yeah, yeah. And there's, there's a lot. There's a lot of truth in that. Yeah, the, the whole of the concept of prime minister and yes, prime minister stands up to a lot of detailed scrutiny um, when you go through it. Yeah, absolutely. And essentially, yes, those things which you want to try and keep away from ministers go at the very bottom of the pile. And you know, certainly if you read things like Thatcher's biography, Major's, um, the, the, the autobiographies of Thatcher and Major and previous prime ministers, you see all the time these little stories about. You know, I always used to start from the middle of the pile and work down uh, <laughs> to try and find all of the really interesting things um, right well let's move things on from Parliament to actual brexit based things now last week to my surprise I mean I mentioned chlorinated chicken because you know, I thought it's a, f- a funny way to go um, it turns out there's actually a good 15 minutes of conversation that we can have about chlorinated yeah, absolutely chicken. so following that um, Alex very kindly included me in a, um, in a tweet and the tweet was regarding other areas that um, there's going to be differences between the UK and the EU, or sorry, the UK and the US. So here is a little list. Um, Chlorine chicken, we know that. Hormone milk. Uh, uh, Hormone beef. Lactic acid washed pork, which sounds delicious. Um, Approach to regulating chemicals. We ban 13,000, whereas the US only bans 13. I find that that incredible, actually. there's also the approach to GM. There's the approach to pesticides. Um, the US think they can make whiskey in one year, whereas we think it's three years. Uh, and also there are some difficulties, apparently, with UK-US deals in relation to the NHS. And I imagine that's, that, that is to do with competition law or some such thing. Yeah, so um, yeah, that list comes from a guy called Samuel Lowe, who's brilliant on trade and you should definitely follow on Twitter because he's way more up to scratch with these things than I am and he's, he's constantly tweeting great great things like that so yeah I think that was his kind of start for 10 of the potential issues which we might be uh, discussing on future episodes of this podcast um, particularly around the future relationship between us and the U- USA um, obviously if we want to get this big tra- trade deal done with Trump then there's going to be a, a long list of things it seems where we're going to come to a uh, come, 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 each, come each other from uh, different ends. Now, we've just mentioned Parliament is in recess and therefore everyone's on holiday and, theref- and therefore not up to mischief. But it would seem that the, the small green shoots of progress that we saw last week yeah. have been swiftly ripped up. 
Yes, so uh, last week we were, I guess we were trying to be optimistic after the, the, the previous episode, but there were a, a kind of a number of indications that perhaps some of the ministers were tr- uh, perhaps slightly adjusting their approach um, and potentially a kind of clear path was starting to emerge, but everything that's happened this week has just rolled back all of that progress and any confidence which I might have had last week uh, was short-lived, right. it would seem. Give me an example of this, because um, I've, been, I've been rather detached from all the new cycles. Yeah, so there, there were a few main ones, weren't there? So last week there was the announcement that uh, Fox and Gove had essentially agreed to Hammond's line on the transition deal, um, and had also agreed that freedom of movement would continue past 2019. Uh, so first of all, this week Liam Fox came out and said that that was totally not true, that he hasn't been party to any discussions over a transition deal, uh, and that there's still massive disagreements. Um, then Boris Johnson, I think there were rumours that Boris was going to resign over disagreements within the cabinet and he had to come out and, de- and deny that. Uh, and then there was announcements from Downing Street on freedom of movement where they came forward and said that yes, uh, sorry, that freedom of movement would end on in, in March 2019 despite there being some kind of transitional deal. That announcement in itself was really baffling and really hard to draw any meaning from um, because they said that whilst freedom of movement will end in 2019 uh, that we're going to have some details of uh, a new immigration system uh, sooner rather than later and the, the spokesperson said that it would be wrong to speculate on what these might look like or to suggest that freedom of movement will continue as it is now and so so basically that doesn't tell us anything. So they're essentially saying that some new system will supposedly be in place by March 2019. Whether that system actually means any restriction of freedom of movement at all or whether things just continue as they are now, we have no idea. It's 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 almost not worth trying to analyse that announcement. That's um, no, well put, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, and then... I guess some of the other things which led us to being slightly optimistic last week were this kind of converging on the EEA afterpath, or or so it seemed. Uh, Whereas now, apparently, even though Philip Hammond has been telling business leaders that we would potentially go down that route and go for an off-the-shelf transitional deal, again, Downing Street put out a statement rejecting any off-the-shelf transitional deal, which, you know... Do we know for what reason, though? Um... I, I think it, it goes back to the kind of old arguments that the, the, the transition deal would not deliver the things which people wanted uh, when they voted in the referendum. Um, so it's, it's, it's still very much about the, the end destination rather than how we get there at this point. I mean, there are some things you said there which are really quite startling. Chief among them would be the potential resignation of Boris Johnson. Is this an actual real thing, or is this kind of people making up stories because they've got nothing to report on? Uh, both. I mean, I mean, I think what, what's, what's obvious from these stories is that we obviously still have no agreement whatsoever amongst the cabinet, and that's quite scary when David Davis is meant to be out there negotiating our position, because it, it isn't at all clear that we have a position. Um, so on that side of things, I think it's 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 genuinely worrying. But at the same time, of course, the media is looking for stuff to report on every day, yeah. and so they stir up rumours and things. No, that's right. I mean, the thing is as well, we're, we're starting to get some of those. You know, we've had odd odd little statements here and there. There was something leaked last week uh, from a private meeting with with Michel Barnier and and other leaders from from the EU, um, which is kind of implying saying actually, look, the EU is really worried. About, is really worried by this split. The fact that every time somebody in cabinet talks about 
the future relationship between the UK and the EU. They say something different. But that's got to be a good thing if the, if the EU are concerned. Well, I... I, I guess it kind of depends on your own personal views about where you want all of this to go. We'll probably okay. give you different. We'll probably give you a different opinion because um, they've said you know there's certainly been you know rumours that some of those people in the EU back rooms are saying look you know should, do we need to take control and pause all of this because actually where is this? Because you know, forget the EU is committed. Do they have the power to pause it? They. That's a very good question. Well, they have the power to propose... They can pause. They can stop negotiations from their side, but the clock continues to tick. Yeah. The only way we can stop the clock ticking is by unanimity from the 28. So we would have to agree to have the, um, to have the, the clock stopped on those negotiations. But they, you know, they, I think the line they've taken is, look, we're genuinely worried for the UK in all of this. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, as Alex has said, there is clearly no cabinet position. That is utterly clear to all of us. Which then leaves you thinking, well, what is on the piece of paper that David Davis didn't put on the table when he went over? <laughs> yeah. you know, the cabinet doesn't have a position, so what are we negotiating for? The EU, of course, don't forget, we start all this from the position that the EU doesn't actually want Brexit. Yeah. That's its stated open thing. It does not want to see the UK go. If the UK wishes to go, that's its prerogative, uh, and we'll do everything we can to make that as smooth and as, you know, as easy as we can. But the relationship will be weaker after Obviously, if you walk away, the relationship is softer. So they don't really want to be going through any of this anyway. I guess the potential to ups- to cause you know serious political consternations within the UK as all of this goes on. You know, we're I mean, how how many months are we now beyond the referendum? Mm. We're five months beyond the Article Fifty triggering. We've made we all intents and purposes. Yeah, twenty five percent of the way through. Yeah, and we've made absolutely no progress on any substantive issue. And actually, the truth is, you know, we're starting with citizens' rights and the divorce payment. This is the easy stuff. Mm-mm. This is the, relatively speaking, the easy stuff in all and this. Didn't the EU uh, figure out that there was 57 separate policy areas that would yeah. need to be agreed upon, at least? So, so, people, so, so you know, when, when you have these statements from ministers which kind of say, oh, no, you, we're not looking at, you know, particularly transition deals, we can do it all. It's like, well... So where are the bodies? You know, if you're going to start setting up these bodies, where is the where is the evidence this is happening? No, um, I, I work in professional services, and quite often, particularly on our company commercial side, it is not it's not uncommon for them to be exchanging emails at you know one in the morning and and, mm-hmm. and working every hour God sends. Do, you, do either of you get a feeling that no one's working really hard enough on, on this, or are we just not seeing it? I think, I think from the conversations I've had down in Whitehall and with colleagues and other organisations who are much closer to the inner, inner workings there, the civil service is working flat out at this. Yeah. Um, actually, to the detriment of everything else, you know, a whole line in the past year of this is, you know, the challenges here is normal domestic policy is just on pause while everything's devoted to, um, everything's devoted to Brexit. But... We're not. What we're not seeing is even though that machine is doing well, we're not seeing the political decision making that now needs to come after that. Yeah, because I seem to remember John Major been locked in a room with EU leaders whilst he was negotiating a deal, and they did that until the early hours. And I'm thinking, surely, surely an, an approach similar to this would be uh, would it be is welcome. odd. And the EU's expressed frustration at this. You know that actually it's you know it, we come round to another negotiating round. You know, we, we we step up to two weeks of the month. I think that the negotiations are shortly yeah. from one. And it said, you know, it's great, but we get to the meet, we get to the day before the meeting, or we get to the day of the meeting, and we've still not received the position paper from the UK government outlining what it wants to get from this set of negotiations. And you just think, well, 
There doesn't seem to be a great sense of urgency, does there? And no. At what at what point do we start to seriously think, oh my god, we're not gonna yeah, but, we're yeah. not gonna get this done. I mean <laughs> we're not talking about sixteen year olds cramming for a GCSE. Hmm. I mean I, I'm I'm actually stunned that there is I mean there must be more to this. Yeah, I think I think so. And a, the evidence I said from is you know, civil service is working hard on this, they've got their head around all the different policy areas where the impacts are. The huge challenge, because so all that's happening, but without the political leadership, it's the old thing, you know. Again, back to that company analogy, all the senior management team could be coming forward with massive restructuring proposals to redo things. If board is not discussing those or is not agreeing on those, nothing happens. Mm. You know, you're just stuck because you need the strategic directors to uh, to actually agree the plan, and actually they're all too busy a on holiday. In fact, they're fighting even whilst on holiday. You know, they they've got time for fighting. Um, so it, it is, as Alex said, you know, the, this clock is ticking. And it, you know, I, I mean, part of me, a little bit of me says the time to say we haven't got time left to do this has already passed. Yeah. I, um, I, I, I think most people didn't think we had enough time to do this before we, the two triggered, years was be, never before we triggered Article yeah. 50, let alone now. Um, yeah. yeah, the fact that six months after we've handed the divorce notice in, we've not decided whether we want to give, have the kids give them to the wife or pawn them on the open market. You know, <laughs> none of those decisions have been taken. <laughs> so... There is the old saying, isn't there, that um, nothing is agreed until everything is agreed. That's an, a, a fundamental point for the EU. Yeah, that's the way it does its deals. Yeah. So, with that in mind, nothing would be agreed anyway. So, we're talking about the two things, the divorce bill and citizens' rights. It sounds to me, in that case, it's going to be very unlikely that they would come forward and say, oh, well, we've done citizens' rights, we've done the divorce bill, now, now, now over to the other 56 remaining policy areas. Yeah, and I think that's the, that's the challenge. And the EU have been, you know, they keep maintaining that is the order. We want those two things sorted out before we start to talk about future relationships. And then, of course, we've still got you know, this talk about do we have transition or not. There has to be a transition. There's no way this will work without it. But it's the transition to what? Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Until you know what the... Uh, you, uh, you've got some kind of vague idea of what the end point looks like. How can you start to negotiate transition deals? What's going to happen if this just continues at the pace and the structure that it is going? Uh, I would have thought that Brexit just won't happen. Uh, yeah, that's that, that's my gut reaction. <laughs> is the EU won't allow it to? But I think I think the and that will be the real embarrassment I think for the UK political leaders is the risk is the EU takes control of this uh, at some point and says look this is yeah you are not ready you know you are going to leave the, you know they can get to you know October next year and say look you are leaving the EU in five months that is what's going on you're not ready you know, none of the decisions you need to have taken and agreed are ready. What do you want to do? You know, and I suspect their strong advice would be you stay put, you right. vote because. Uh, so, does anyone have any kind of hard Brexiteer conspiracy theories about why? You know, maybe, maybe that's exactly what this is—a a hard Brexiteer conspiracy theory where we don't agree anything and we just have a hard Brexit. I just, see. I just don't. I don't buy it because I don't think the EU would. You can't say it wouldn't allow because that's it's, it's not strong. It's, it's not their it's not their choice, is it? It's it's not. It's not. I, I mean, mean, if the if the UK wants to walk through the hard Brexit door, it can. It can do at any point. It could just stop. I mean, actually, stop negotiating. Why waste everyone's time? You know, if that's kind of the if that's the outcome. I guess so. I mean, there is no suggestion that this is the case. This is just me, um, me causing trouble. I guess. But, you know, if you were of the hard Brexit persuasion like Mr. Dave, like Mr. David Davis is, well, you wouldn't want the political blame for 
just cancelling negotiations now and having a hard Brexit. But if you went two years and you agreed nothing, you could quite easily point the finger at the EU and the you know the populace would probably believe it, and then you could have your hard Brexit Brexit yeah. anyway. I, I just yeah, I mean yeah, you're right. This is you playing <laughs> playing sort of naughty hypotheticals. I think you're right, and I think there is a chan- there is a challenge that the public would probably buy the British public would mostly buy Davis's view. Yeah. Despite the fact that actually we know the EU has been read, the EU is ready. We know the EU stance on the policy areas. It's you know they're publishing position papers every week. They keep coming through. I mean, in a way, um, this is actually the problem with Brexit, which is the simple message always gets through without yes. any kind of knowledge of what the in-depth I mean, that, analysis is. I mean, this is a summary of the referendum, the concept of the referendum in the first place, yeah. that you, you take an unbelievably set of complex constructs, large set of complex constructs, and boil it down to in or out. Yeah, because um, I, I... When it's just not that simple. Um, it never was that simple. Yeah, um, I, I mean... I, David Allen Green put it well in an article this week. Where I mentioned earlier that the EU came up with this number of 57 different policy areas. And he said the chances are that there'll be 57 different Brexits for each one of them. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's it. Because there, yeah, there is no one solution fits all. And some of them some of them you probably could slip out of relatively quickly. Yeah. Some, frankly, you'll be operating under those rules, even if we are, you know, the UK is sovereignly independent. It'll be importing those rules and enforcing them its own parliament for decades to come because... That's just the way the world is. Hmm. Well, from nothing happening in Brexit to actually something happening in Brexit, um, the Medicines Agency is moving, as we discussed a few weeks ago. And yep. what, what's the other big agency in London which they, which they have? There's two, isn't there? There are. There are two EU agencies based here. I can't um, remember what the other one is. I cannot remember what the other one is off oh, the top of my head. It's not financial services. Is it financial services or some such thing? Can't remember. I can't remember. Whatever that. it is. Yeah. Anyway, let's concentrate on the Medicines Agency. This strikes me as if it's been treated by countries like they're trying to win the Olympic Games. So as I understand it, there are a handful of cities now which have put their name forward to host the, the Medicines Agency, and they're using such tactics as PR people and glossy brochures. So this is getting quite serious on, on their side now. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I think that's kind of normal. So th- these things are, are relatively common in sort of big jurisdictions. You, know, you can imagine, actually, in the UK, we have one going on at the moment. Channel 4 is going to be relocated out of London. Yes, it is. There is now a competition underway. Birmingham, Manchester, Liverpool particularly are pushing hard, saying it should be us. Because actually there's a lot to be had from having a major national agency. Yeah, it, it should be yeah. Manchester. It should be Manchester. Uh, from from all kind of agglomerative effects, it should be us. Sorry, colleagues in Birmingham, Liverpool listening to this, but <laughs> we will be fighting hard for it to be here. Um, because for us, you multiply the, you multiply, uh, the, the benefits. By putting yeah, that with everything else that's already at Media City, you get much more uh, bang for the buck. It's, sim- it, it's simple talent clustering. Yeah, that's exactly. All yeah, well, that, mm-hmm. There's nothing new there. Um, but governments are usually not very good at doing this kind of stuff. Anyway, that's, that's an aside. But yeah, that's, I think so. this is a big thing for a lot of European cities, to have major agencies. There is also, of course, the, that, that would be the case anyway, even if the EU was spinning up another new agency, there would be high competition. Mm-hmm. But of course, there's a bigger political win, isn't there? Because this is the wrestling of the UK agency so, out of London. Amazingly. With the potential of bringing those staff over as well. You know, well, this is the point I was going to make. Amazingly, the Medicines Agency is based... Well, this isn't, this isn't the amazing part. It's based in Canary Wharf. The amazing part is it generates... 40,000 hotel stays every year. Yeah, with, with the global travel for, for yeah. regulation stuff. Yeah. It's, it's, it's incredible. Yeah, and that, that's what big government departments do, and it's why cities fight over them. Yeah. 
So we'll be finding out about that. I think that is going to be announced in the next six months. It is. It was certainly. I think. I think it was later this year. Yeah, rather than early next year. So uh, those two big, big, interesting competition. Yeah. Now it's not just the government who are falling out over parliamentary parliamentary recess. Labour have had their own little, um, little split. There's Keir Starmer, who I have spoken about in in the past in rather favourable terms, and there's this other character called Barry Gardner. Um, what has Barry been saying? This, this Barry Gordon is the Shadow Trade Secretary. Shadow uh, DIT Secretary, yeah. That's right. Yes, so he ba- has basically come out and advocated that we leave the single market and the customs union, otherwise Brexit isn't Brexit, um, and taking a very, the very kind of hard Brexit stance, whereas uh, obviously... Corbyn is still kind of pushing the manifesto line that we're going to come out of the single market, but we're somehow going to retain all the benefits of it, which is technically (laughs) impossible. Uh, And then Keir Starmer, I believe, has come out now and said that he is definitely going to fight for us to remain in the single market and the customs union and will be seeking an amendment to the repeal bill to keep us in both of those things for the transition period. So... There are there is an enormous split, uh, like like the Tories. There's an enormous split within Labour as well. Where would Mr. Gardner get this information? Is this just him talking about his own personal preferences, or has this come from the higher ups? In fact, do uh, do Labour even have higher ups that are you know pushing down this information? I I, I would have thought that there's there's higher ups in the Labour Party who are, who want a hard Brexit. I, I would have thought so, but, but I I think this Barry Gardner thing is is just his personal opinion. Um, but the the particularly frustrating thing about this for me, and this has been going on for a few weeks, is that the single market and the customs union are constantly being talked about as a package deal now. Um, mm. The the discussion seems to be we're in the single market and the customs union, or we're out the single market and the customs union, and it's it's quite a, a change mm. from before the referendum and soon after it, where it was the focus was all on the single market, and the, and and I think it was basically assumed by by both sides that we would come out the customs union if we voted out, and we did have. A dilemma, didn't we? Not a dilemma, but there was a question to be asked about a certain clause. So there was the clause to leave the EU, but then there's also another clause which was going, which was in a court yes. case to leave one two seven. Yeah, one two seven, which is to leave the customs union, the single market. The single one, market was, was one two seven. Yes. So what's the custom? What's the customs union? Is that separate again? So, yes. Yeah. So customs union is embedded. It was separate. Um, it was created back in the back in the fifties. Uh, in its early days, um, was essentially completed really around the around Maastricht and then Amsterdam treaties. But it's now, of course, with things like Lisbon, it's rolled up and packaged up into the core EU treaties. So this is the other bit. So you know, we come back to you know talking about things we talked about many times at this point. Is the problem is every time someone says we think we should remain or stay in the single market or remain or stay in the customs union, the first thing you should do is ask them in 20 words to describe what those two things are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and what you find, actually, is the problem is, is nobody talking about this knows what actually either of these things do. It's very complicated. It's incredibly complicated. But the one thing that is relatively straightforward is if we leave the EU, we leave the customs union. There is no... You know, it would be complete bespoke treaties to try and do one without the other. Yeah. Um, we are le- if we leave if we leave on the 29th of March, whatever it is, uh, 2019, we leave the customs union. Now we can stay a member of the single market and not be a member of the customs union. You cannot be a member of the customs union and not a member of the single market. Ah. Uh. 
Right. So, and the thing is, this stuff has been known, you know, even the, you know, the low-level general conversation from kind of commentators, well, actually not many political commentators, but some has kind of grasped this a while ago. This is not new stuff that's coming out. We've, the, we've known that position for a while. The, uh, this, this stuff's complicated. And the, the first issue is that everyone says the customs union when there are loads of customs unions all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not the only one, and they're all different, uh, all ratified by the WTO. So Turkey in some respects is in our customs union. It is in a customs union, and that's the point, you see, yes, because lots of people have said this stuff, saying, oh, well, yeah, but Turkey's in the EU customs union. It's like, no, Turkey is in a Turkey-EU customs union. It's specific, it's different, yeah. It It is uh, not in the EU customs union. But with that in mind, I mean, people on the Brexiteer side, or not even the Brexiteer side, the kind of have-your-cake-and-eat-it side, they do have a point then, don't they? Because if Turkey can have a... Customs union with the EU, sure, the UK can. I mean, yeah, but yes. I mean, oh yeah, undoubtedly, there is no question about us being able to crack a UK EU customs union. That's yeah, yeah. some form of that is easy. The question is, what is included? Yes, yeah. the, the the problem is when you turn it into being about the customs union, and it, it's just a binary choice again, like everything else, because it's it's massively more complicated than that. And what it really comes down to is that for Remainers. Uh, they see it that we have to stay in the customs union because they see the customs union as being the things which removed removes all the internal borders uh, when trading goods within the EU. Um, on the other side, Brexiteers think that we absolutely have to come out of the customs union because the customs union is what stops us from doing external trade deals, but they're both wrong. Um, uh. It's the common commercial policy which stops us from doing our own trade deals, which is a separate thing to the customs union. So we could be party to the customs union, but free from the common commercial policy tech, in a technical sense. And then on, on the Remainer side of it, um, yes, uh, the part of the purpose of the customs union is to remove the internal borders within the EU. But if you look through the history of the customs union, uh, there are still massive amounts of internal borders 30 years after the customs union was established. And really the, uh, the ultimate removal of the internal borders borders came only with the establishment of the single market. So it's the whole issue is that it's complicated and just saying we need to be in the customs union or out the customs union is just yeah. is just a much too simplistic way of thinking about it. We There's technically a way in which we can be outside the common commercial policy, do our own trade deals. Uh, we can strike up a new type of customs agreement or we could strike up a new customs uh, union, uh, which would get over the, the issue of internal borders. I mean, Theresa May was basically right when she, about six months ago. She said that it's not a binary choice. Um, and again, it's, it's one thing where all kind of detail and nuance has gone out the conversation. And it's, it's, it's now not even about in-out the customs union, in-out the single market. They're, they're just being talked about as a package deal. It's like... It's a homogenous thing. Details yeah. are slowly leaking out the conversation. No, and it's, I think just summarising that, it is the challenge with stuff that is this hard, is how do you get this level of technical detail out into the public... Mm-hmm. Um, for you know, easy soundbite discussion on you know thirty-second interviews on twenty-four hour news. Well, um, this is you know this is just it's just too complex to be held in that kind of debate. Well, I can tell you one way to get information out into the public. Would you like to know? Podcasts. <laughs> well, podcasts exactly. <laughs> uh, but also um, placing uh, placing rather odd adverts in newspapers that would probably get some information out. Yeah. The, yes. the, uh, the government is recruiting. Yes, this is amazing. This this is like when you get information uh, from a source about something where someone where um, uh, where someone completely denies it. Uh, For instance, if someone was dieting but then had chocolate all all on their face, uh, they might be denying it, but 
obviously something is going on. Yes, so we've been basically confused by all of the government statements and goings-on for a long time now. Uh, but interestingly, today, someone on Twitter spotted that the civil service had put out a job advert <laughs> recruiting for what is called the Trade Remedies Organisation. Um, they're saying that it needs to be operational by October 2018 in order to Why, take... what happens in October 2018? Uh, I, think, I think what they mean... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I think what they mean is that they need to have these people in place so they can figure out what they need to do, uh, you know, with, with some time to spare. But it needs to be uh, operational by October 2018 in order to take on new investigations from UK producers, uh, which would otherwise be settled by uh, EU authorities. So essentially, it seems to be about dispute settlement uh, in terms of trade. So I think you can probably extract more information from this this unpublicized job advert than you can from a lot of the government's announcements because it seems to be an admission that they are finally setting up some of the institutions in preparation for uh, for leaving the customs union and the single market at a future date yeah absolutely and i think there's there's you know again you know we've talked a lot about how complex this is and that you know and i think sometimes people will you know could could listen to us or you could come and chat to me and alex and think my god these two have got their head around you know 95 percent of the detail that if you'll talk to us honestly and i'll tell you now and said Yes, we know, you know, 90% more than the rest of the population. We still probably only know 5 or 10% of how all this plays out. This is complex stuff. But I think there is, I think we can read from this, though. I don't yet know we can go as far as to say this means we're leaving X or Y. Certainly single market or customs union. Mm-hmm. I think it's clear, though, that it means we're leaving the common commercial policy. Mm-hmm. Yes. Because theoretically, you could be, we could stay within the customs union. Yeah. Or within a customs union, of course. Let's get away from those binaries. Uh, but yeah, but thing, things are afoot. Yeah, but the fact that, yeah, the, we've not had any ministerial statements on the setting up of this office. No. Nope. Uh, we've not had any of the clauses which will go through Parliament to uh, to set up funding for it. But It's interesting, recruiting. isn't it? I'm, I'm thinking maybe I should be keeping an eye on the civil service job adverts from now on. <laughs> trying, yeah, trying a, to... a good route. Can yeah. you still podcast if you get a civil service job? If you work for the civil service, you'll be on lockdown. Yeah, that's the... <laughs> <laughs> uh, the optimist in me and I am a little bit of an I mean, uh, part of me hopes I mean it's more hope actually than anything concrete but there's a huge kind of game theory type strategy going on by the government here where they're all you know double crossing and you know contradiction and contradicting each other and to me this kind of plays into the narrative which I've constructed in my head which is there must be something else going on because well, this has been set up. I, I, I you know, I, I can sympathise with that point of view, um, but at the same time, it could just be them covering their asses in case this all goes wrong. <laughs> it, I mean, this, we kind of have said, haven't we, that this is an organisation to replace certain organisations in, 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 the, in the EU. Yeah, that's right. It's, it yeah. essentially will be the UK will need a trade dispute resolution body because we won't be able to use ECJ anymore. Yeah. So, I mean, whichever it, it kind of yeah. implies yeah. that we are leaving somewhere. If that... What, what I'm trying to get at here is, are they building this thing? It's kind of like, uh, if, you, if you have a gun, you're going to use it type, 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 type thing. Is just by creating this thing almost making it more certain that we're going down a certain route rather than this being a kind of um, pre- preemptive strategy or, or the government just being careful? It's a good question to which I don't know the answer. Um, I mean, I think, 
I think we should take heart from the fact that something's happening. I mean, this is the oh, first yeah. visible sign that any new agencies are being created. Um, that's good. Trade is going to be one of the first ones that's going to need to be up mm-hmm. because, um, you know, despite all of our talk recently about common commercial policy and customs and single market, all the rest of it, to simplify all of that, popping out of the custom, out of the EU customs union, replicating the common commercial policy, replicating the EU schedules or the proportions of schedules and quotas for the for the UK at the WTO, the UK basically photocopying the EU customs code so that ours is identical mm. and then building a UK-EU customs union around that is one of the easier things in this process. Yeah. Um, so, But then we'll need a body to police that. We need to get ours up and running. That is that is probably all doable in the time. You probably ideally need a bit longer than we've got, but that's sort of relatively calm. So they're starting with that stuff. Um, now, the thing is, Brexiteers, the harder Brexiteers would then challenge me and say, well, ah, oh, so you can spin it all up, you see, and we get the sovereignty. It's like, yes, but that'll operate, but it will basically be exactly the same regime you have today. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There'll be new bodies, it'll be different people you talk to, but the rules they are will be applying will, for the, at least the short term, and in aspects into the long term, be identical. And during that period, if the ECJ or the European decisions move, ours will move absolutely instantly with them. Um, and so it's, so it's it's this thing we've got to push back. It's not it's our old line about you know Brexit being a process, not an event. You need to spin all these things up with identical mirroring of Europe. So you can be able to say we're out, but actually practically you're not because you're still under this. Because only then, once we've got all 57 agencies up, yeah. only then can we start slowly to untangle which so bits. So really, I mean, the secret is kind of looking on the fringes of, of government rather than actually waiting for government to tell us what yeah, they're doing. because an- another aspect of this job advert is that it says the organisation will be underpinned by detailed legislation as part of the trade bill due to be introduced in Parliament in September, what, which is... What yeah, trade bill? So, so, the trade, <laughs> no, that, so that was announced in the Queen's speech. That's, yeah. that's one of those nine, I think, um, yeah. Brexit-related bills yeah. um, that were there. But I, I don't think we knew that it was coming in September until that job advert came no, out. No, no, <laughs> absolutely not. No, it was just, it will come in the next session at yeah. some point. Yeah. So, so yeah, it's seems like this week the best source of news has been a job advert brilliant absolutely brilliant now this is an unfair question because you've not had time to prepare but i'll just thought I'll float it anyway and if you can't give me an answer we'll talk about it next week okay <laughs> island uh what on earth is a seaboarder i mean it sounds obvious but they've said they want a seaboarder now with the uk what does that actually mean does anyone know? Okay, so I've, I've read a little about this, but only little. So I'll give I'll give you what I know now, and correct myself if I need to when we when everyone tunes in next week. Yeah, I, actually, give us a brief explanation now, and then we can go into it further ne- f- further next week. Yeah. So the the real concept is is about is think about the relationship between the the United Kingdom and the Republic of Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, so obviously, for the for now, both of those countries are members of the EU, and all of the concomitant bits that come to that. Um, they are not, however, signatories to the Schengen Treaty. Now, the Schengen Treaty is the bit which allows, um, uh, well, UK, EU citizens to cross all EU borders except UK or Ireland borders without showing passports. Yeah, essentially, that's what Schengen does. The UK didn't want to sign up to that because we don't. You know, there's always been this issue about immigration into the UK. It's all. It's been a long run issue. It's nothing new there. So we weren't party to that. But, of course, the history of UK and Ireland uh, is you know, riven with all sorts of interesting political tensions, uh, and there is a free travel area in place, which has been in place since Ireland's independence in 1922. That means a UK citizen travelling to Ireland or vice 
vice versa is not required to show passports they're not required to declare any documents there is free passage even though it's an international border and it's for that reason that Ireland didn't join Schengen Ireland wanted to be in Schengen ah. but the relationship of free movement between the UK and, the, and Ireland was more important for them than Ireland EU 20, the other EU26 right um, now, all of this has huge implications about how we deal with freedom of goods uh, and people across the land border between the UK and Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. That land border is important because because currently it's completely unpoliced. There is no border there in any sense. That's fine. We can walk out of the EU, but how do if there's a free travel area between the UK and Ireland, how do you stop Ireland being the back door into the EU? Which it already is, is it not? Which it sort of is, except it's not part of Schengen. So there are border checks. Yes. If you take a flight from Dublin to Paris, there will be, you will go through a border check. Uh, and you'll go through passport control, which you wouldn't do taking a flight from Paris to Hamburg. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so the, what we don't want, what everyone is desperate to involve, the three parties, UK, EU and Republic of Ireland, is reinstituting a hard border at the land border between Northern Ireland and, um, and the Republic of Ireland. So the question is, how do you handle free movement of goods? How do you handle passage? Why? I just don't understand why it's such a big deal. Just show your passport when you fly. Uh, that's that's an individual opinion. Others have different EUs wants to bring those borders down. The challenge is particularly goods and people. So because it is an is, open is it more border, on the goods side? It's not. I think it's pretty balanced. It's all okay. about the the challenge now of because there is no border, business and commuter flows and everything have evolved to deal with no border. This is one of the big yeah, aspects I, of of withdrawing from the EU. That's quite hard. So. Lots of, you know, if you talk to manufacturers, I think it's, uh, if you talk to um, Guinness, for example, they will tell you in making Guinness, the raw material, from first raw material coming in to last product hitting the pub, actually that production process crosses the land border six or seven times. Right, okay. And I guess. Supply chains. People who live in Northern Ireland work in the Republic of Ireland, they have family in the Republic of Ireland. Some villages sit either side of the, yeah, of the I, border. Yeah, I, I guess when you think about it, you can say what's the point in showing your passport every time you fly I'm thinking from a point of view of going on holiday yeah. it'd be like showing your passport every time you went to work yeah exactly so if you're in the UK if the free travel area between the UK and the Republic of Ireland is still there which means once you're in the UK you can get into Ireland but then there's no further checks from Ireland to the rest how do you stop Ireland then just becomes a, a gateway all you need to do is get into the UK the UK doesn't police the border to Ireland mm. Ireland doesn't police the borders to the rest of the EU you've got through the hard edge of yeah. the EU. So how do you do that? How do you put that hard edge back? How do you put some form of edge in place which stops the worst of that going? So what they're saying is actually all goods would be checked at arrival on the island of Ireland rather than arriving in Ireland. Got you. Yeah, so you need so all the goods checking, if there is goods checking and customs procedures to be gone through, they'll have to be done at the port of entry onto the island, not the, not just the Republic of Ireland. Which is... So if you're selling something Stranraer... If you're shipping goods from Stranraer to Dublin, currently there are no checks. And I imagine this in. is a nightmare for people like the DUP. Absolutely. This and is exactly they, what they don't want. And that's it. And, and this is really why, you know, we said... It's lucky it's they're one, not in government. It's one of those... <laughs> yeah, there's an irony. It's lucky... Um, it's, uh, it's one of the things that we, you know, we said was hardest of the 12 asks of Theresa May's um, Lancaster House speech during the year about this protecting the open border. Actually... Wow, it's not about us leaving the because people have said, oh, it's about it's not about the UK leaving the EU. That's not the problem. It's a combination of the UK leaving the EU and the and the existing free travel area. Yeah, 
between uh, Ireland and the UK. It's that combination, but then, of course, wrapped around that, a hundred years of political tensions, which has created war and lots of deaths. Um, and you see where this is. This is about, you know, trying to put a hard land border between Catalonia and Basque. It's that sort of issue. You know? Wow. Yeah, so... Um, it's not easy. It's not clear. You know, actually, I mean, people have said, um, you know, William Hague, who, you know, lifelong Eurosceptic, but he eventually moved away from going from a Leave vote precisely on this, because he said, I just cannot see how you solve mm-hmm. the Northern Ireland, Republic of Ireland land border. Well, this um, is something we, we, well, we will... Go on, so, uh, on, that, on that note, William Hague has come out in favour of EEA after this, yeah. this week. Has in, he really? in the FT, yes. Well, this is, uh, this is one of those areas we're just going to have to watch with interest because... Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's the political... It's the single hardest political thing to achieve uh, in all of this, I think. Incredible. Well, gents, we will leave it there. We've uh, done 42 minutes, which is, uh, which is good considering everyone's on, uh, everyone's on holiday. Yeah, I, thought, I thought we were going to have nothing to talk about this week. <laughs> yeah, we say that every week. Every week. <laughs> we just go on and on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so thank you for listening. Thank you for following us on Twitter. I'm at Jay, I'm at Jay Beardmore. You gentlemen are at? Uh, I'm at GMCC underscore Christian. I'm at GMCC underscore Alex. Um, please, please feel free to leave us a review on iTunes, providing it's five stars. Others are not welcome. Um, <laughs> Has anything going on in the Chamber of Commerce this week? Oh, there's, there's all sorts going on. We're, we're winding down a bit for summer now. We're sort of starting to prep up for some of our major events in September. Big ones coming up is our big uh, Northwest of England uh, construction summit, just the yep. 13th and 14th uh, of September, out at the uh, out with the University of Salford. Key partners out there. So that's a big one. We're doing some research for at the minute. Fantastic. Right. Until next week. Goodbye. 